0: All right, I'm going to start a new series because we had a prayer line Sunday night that I thought maybe four people would come up for because what I saw, I didn't think, and I understand there's, there's always some misunderstandings with an altar call. And he, My altar call was I, I could see people whose minds were twisted up like an, a Jenga game or a, almost like a Rubik's Cube And then I saw the analogy of a rope tangled up, tied up, someone trying to weave in and out and figure out what they need to do and how they need to do it and how they need to be, and just making a bigger mess out of their life. And so we gave that altar call, and I thought maybe four or five, six folks would qualify for that level of confusion, but we end up having 35 or 40 people come up, mostly ladies, which is typically that's typical for that mental thing, though there were plenty of men. My two daughters were up here, and uh, so that, course, that piqued my interest. I thought, well, what in the world's going on with them? Because uh, I'm not a dad that yells at my kids. I'm not like the guy that comes home full of anger and is just judge, jury, and executioner. You know, we pray every night with our kids. They bring us everything, so of course I had to inquire of that. And Lydia told me the story, so she also gave me permission to share it, which I will hear in a minute. But to lay hands on so many people and perceive what's going on mentally and to know that supernaturally God was going to take some of you and pull one end of your rope, which just represents your life, and give it a supernatural jerk and just cause that knot to fall out. I could see that happening. In fact, some of you I stood in front of and I wanted to grab a hold of something just to tug on it. Uh, If you'd had a ponytail, you might have felt your (laughs) hurt. But I kept my hands to myself except to lay hand on your forehead. But I also was mindful to lay hands that way supernaturally. What God was going to deliver was self-imposed, man-made. So even though the Lord would graciously jerk the knot out of our rope and set us free, because it was man-made, we would go back and do it again. So, I'm mindful of what the Lord told Brother Hagen back in the 50s. He said, don't go having healing anointings. Don't, uh, excuse me, healing ca- campaigns. Follow behind the great healing evangelists and teach in the local churches so people know how to keep their healing. Right. Yeah. Amen. And so what we have to do tonight is something very similar. So I'm going to call this message tonight, The Pursuit of Peace. And... Uh, I'm going to maybe begin a series. Maybe we can teach this and fix it tonight. Maybe this becomes three weeks, maybe three months. Maybe maybe you get your answer tonight. Maybe we have to kind of continue to tug on that rope. So turn with me. Turn with me to Isaiah 26. I'm going to call this the pursuit of peace because really this is what everybody is seeking for. I the Surgeon General this week, Isaiah 26, the Surgeon General of the United States this week declared officially social media is bad for youth. And I thought, well, I've been saying that since 2010. And the reason it's bad for kids is because it destroys their mind. And we've taught this ad nauseum, and so some people would listen, and they found freedom, and others thought I was a fool and held the mirror to their face. One of the things I want us to understand in any kind of prayer line, any kind of ministry of the Spirit, we can set people free, but we have to hear the words of the Lord, go and sin no more. We can lay hands on people to be delivered from this burden of their mind, but unless they go and sin no more, go and think that direction no more, go and don't go that direction anymore, you're just going to take that rope and tie yourself up again. So part of the pursuit of peace is knowing what's sucking peace out of you. Is it a mental habit? Is it an entertainment addiction? Some of you listen to me clearly. The music you listen to is demonic. The music you listen to is drilling holes in your bucket and draining all the peace out of it. That's what social media does it drills a hole in your bucket and drains all the peace out of you. I mean, social media invented several brand new psychological disorders. I don't have any of those psychological disorders. But if you spent 10 years on social media, you're psychologically disordered. Yeah. Yeah, we can lay hands on you all day long and impart the peace of God, but you have to go and make a change. We're not designed to live ultra call to altar call. And though we're appreciative for psychiatric medicine, you're not designed to live on lithium or Prozac or Xanax you're not designed to live on uppers. You're not designed to live on downers. You're not designed to live off of dopamine hits from your brain. You're designed to walk in the Spirit. So anything we teach it's going to be wonderful and great, but if we don't apply it, it's self-delusion. So Isaiah 26, one of the great promises of the Old Testament, verse 3, actually, let's start in verse 1. And that day shall this song be sung in the land of Judah. So here's a song, a song of victory that will be sung at the, 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 title of the top of my Bible. I have a Cambridge study Bible, and it gives titles that kind of give you the overview of the chapter. It says, a song inciting confidence in God. While If you need peace... Peace brings strong confidence. So here is a song that according to the Oxford study theologians who decided to write a header at the top of my Bible, every page of my Bible has it. This is a song to incite confidence in God. Sounds like a good song. So here's the song. We have a strong city. That's a pretty good opening lyric. Jesus, the Jerusalem, the heavenly Jerusalem. Salvation will God appoint for walls and bulwarks. Sounds like an awesome city, the heavenly Jerusalem. We could apply it to the church. Open ye the gates that the righteous nation which keepeth the truth may enter in. So this is all about coming into God's presence. Come into God's house. Come into God's people. Why would you go to the world? Here, it's telling you how to find confidence. You run to where God is. So I don't have a list of steps, but let's just make them up as we go. One of the keys to having peace is stay where God is. Jerusalem was a fortified city. They're singing about this Jerusalem, God's holy city. It literally means the city of peace. Jerusalem, shalom. The city of shalom. Well, the local church is to be a church of peace. This is where we come to be washed and reset. Now, the problem is sometimes we're so filthy out there The church doesn't have time to get us clean enough. Anybody that does their own laundry knows sometimes you have to put the clothing back in there again and again. And then sometimes you just need to pour half a gallon of bleach in there and do it again. (laughs) Yeah. I've done enough caving to know the clothes have to be washed in the backyard before they go in the washing machine. And I have a whole routine. I have a bucket. I put my caving clothes and their mud in there. I put palm olive in there because palm olive soap breaks down the cation action in between the clays that come from the cave. It lets it all go. And then I can safely put it in the washing machine. Sometimes you're so filthy church just isn't doing it for you because, well, we weren't expecting you to be so filthy in between services. We didn't expect you to be that filthy because we taught you better. You were raised here. You've been discipled here. We, we didn't expect you to get out of the washing machine called the Sunday morning service and go right back into the pig pen. And so the deception is that the church just isn't doing it for me anymore. Church has always been doing it. You're just getting dirtier faster than we can get you clean. So open the gates. They're open. That the righteous nation which keepeth the truth may enter in. And I've also noticed only the righteous want the truth anyway. Only the righteous. That doesn't mean perfect. Only the righteous want to be in church anyway. The unrighteous, the filthy, they're looking for a reason not to go to church. They will jump at any slight excuse that seems somewhat justifiable. But verse 3, Thou will keep him in perfect peace whose mind scrolls social media three hours a day. Thou will keep him in constant competition with the Joneses for those that run the death roll, the death scroll. Thou will constantly heal the weird, affected, peace-lacking mind because they read one scripture a day and spend the other six hours on social media. They, you, you, Lord, will keep him in perfect peace. The Hebrew says, shalom, shalom. That's twice. That's like double shalom. Shalom, shalom. You will keep him in double Shalom whose mind is stayed on him. That also tells us instantly we have a responsibility. We control our mind. And we can control where we set it. We can control where we set it. Uh, Kylie's no, Kyle, not in here. I'm not on social media because I have too much to do. But I do go to Pinterest from time to time looking for ag- uh, botanical pictures and then, then sometime another bushcraft, they know who I am. So bushcraft pops up and, you know, survival skills. And then there's some guns. And then van life pops up. Van life. This is where hippies want to live in a Volkswagen Eurovan. And see, that that's still in me a little bit. It's not completely gone. It's the hippie from me. I don't know. there's something you get a little bit too hippie, that thing sticks to you. So I can accidentally, not really, kind of, what I like now, I don't want it, but I I like to look at the architecture of somebody who will totally retrofit and all like the origami that is the drawers and how you make like a a Mormon family live out of a van again. (laughs) You know, nine kids plus a full-size Rottweiler living in a Volkswagen bus that sits six people normally, sits not sleeps, but just to look at that, it doesn't happen anymore, but even through COVID, I would, I would be on Pinterest because I was writing the botany book, and I would get to kind of lost looking at van life, and it would activate lust. During COVID, I even began pricing Volkswagen Eurovans. Don't laugh at me. I didn't do it, but for like a week or two, And then reality kicked in, and I said, I have a wife and three kids and a church. Why am I going to drop 40 grand on a 40 year old van again? So, Kylie, she can totally relate. She's got some hippies still left in her. She understands the draw. You can't only explain it if you've suffered with it. It's like post traumatic van disorder. (laughs) And her joke is now that she's born again serving Jesus, she asks the Lord, Can I have a hippie van. And the Lord says, the best I'll do is a minivan. But see, you get on social media and your peace goes the way of the dodo because you're trying to keep up with a life God never assigned you. Therefore, to set your heart upon it is to pull your life out of sync with God. And the second you pull, you allow your heart to be pulled out of sync with God, you will be in instant pursuit of peace, not realizing you're the one who forfeited your peace. Your peace and my peace is our responsibility. You need to protect your peace. You need to be careful what you set your mind on. I am experienced enough to know when my mind looks at old things like a van again and wants to go hop in a hippie bus and go tour and rock climb, and that's an 18-year-old daydream. I'm 47 this summer. That's that's an old daydream, but it's yeah. you asking like I'm old, John Paul. (laughs) Wait, who on the front rows in their mid 70s? (laughs) I have never been heckled for being old before, (laughs) much less by an old Frenchman. (laughs) The Bible promises you'll have shalom shalom when you keep your mind. Right fixed on God, on his word, on his plan. Now, here's the problem. When our mind gets off of God, we lose peace. It's spiritual law. And I wrote this down from prayer today. I was praying for us. I was praying in tongues. And the Lord showed me this. Rather than making decisions from the position of peace, many Christians make decisions in hopes of finding peace. Peace. I'll read it a couple times. Rather than making decisions from the position of peace, many Christians make decisions in hopes of finding peace. Now, to find peace, you just have to put your mind on God and be still. That's another verse we'll look at. Be still and know that He is God. Rather than making our decisions from a position of peace, which is the best place to make position uh, decisions from, Christians are so scatterbrained, so tormented, so insecure, so fearful, most of our decision-making is in desperate grasp of peace. So now here's the next part of the thing I saw in prayer. The existing lack of peace ensures that every decision made will be wrong and produce an even greater loss of peace. The existing lack of peace ensures that every decision will be wrong and produce an even greater loss of peace. This is what we would call rebound relationships. A good example is the rebound relationship. You break up with somebody. You don't even get healed. Even, not, even, not even a divorce. We're just talking boyfriend, girlfriend, dating. You break up. You didn't have any peace to begin with in the relationship, so somebody was miserable. That's why the relationship terminated. Then rather than being healed, you look for the next feel-good attention. So the next decision was in desperate look for, in search of peace or feel-good, so you hastily jump into another relationship and only further damage your soul. People do it when they get divorced, quickly dating again. They don't get healed in their heart of that trauma. It can be any decision. Too many Christians are searching for temporary reliefs from pain rather than being still and knowing that he is God and keeping their mind set on him. What we ought to be evaluating is, why do I lack peace right now? So, okay, let's go to Psalm 46. That's a good verse right there. It says, let me finish reading. We should finish the verse. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. Trust ye in the Lord forever, for the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. Everlasting strength is the term rock of ages. So you want peace? Put your mind on the rock of ages. Makes me want to sing a Baptist hymn. God bless the Baptists and the rock of ages. Amen. All right. So Psalm 46. We're going to read this whole Psalm. It's only about 12 verses, 11 verses. See how this Psalm applies to the pursuit of peace. Now, remember, the bigger picture we're trying to solve here is we had, let's say, 40 people in a prayer line Sunday night who admitted their brain was a Jenga mess. Uh, Schmitty, throw the picture of the knot up. I pulled a picture. I just searched for the biggest, ugliest knot I could find. And sometimes this is what your mind looks like. Anybody ever been there? This decision, and raise your hand. There we go. See, we're honest Christians. And rather than sitting down, if this represents chaos, rather than sitting down and being still and not doing nothing to you, work this knot out and work that knot out and work this knot out. What people will do is just grab one of the longest loose ends and go try to make life happen and drag that into the next connection of life. We would call that soulish baggage. And whereas your life should have 200 meters of beautiful rope that can be tied and untied as you need, all you are or maybe all I am is a bunch of knots with five feet in between. You can't repel on that. You can't hoist anything with that. You stuff most of it in the backpack and only let about six feet hang out, so this is your false advertisement of how you have your act together. (laughs) What's in the backpack? Oh, this is more of my life. Can I see it? I don't think we're close enough yet. Maybe tomorrow (laughs) after we've tied the knot. Would you want to be married to somebody whose heart and life looks No. Would, should you be dating if your heart and life looks No. No, This calls for being still and walking with God. Psalm 46, verse one, we're looking for, the, for peace. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. So when you need peace, this verse tells you where to look, not social media. Not Ben and Jerry's ice cream. Not your dog. You have a comforter called the Holy Ghost. It is an insult to turn to Mr. Scruffles. (laughs) Some people think Mr. Scruffles is the third person of the Godhead. He only lives 10 to 15 years. And then he takes a dirt nap in the backyard my wife and I are not animal people. Uh, we often take pictures of dead animals on the side of the road. And we send them to each other. I should say often, maybe once a year. Same joke every time. Hey, look, free cat. Doesn't come when you call, but it's still free. <laughs> All right. God is our refuge and strength. Very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not we free, uh, fear. Therefore, will not we fear. Why do we, don't we fear? God is present. He's help. Though the earth be removed. You know, sometimes being unfriended on social media feels like it. That's sarcasm. You know, sometimes the line at Starbucks is a little too long and you don't have time to wait. God's still there. Don't you feel safe, Pastor? (laughs) Yeah. Though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea. That's massive issues right there. Though the waters thereof roar and be troubled. Though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof. Pause. Think about literally the world falling apart. This is geologic catastrophe. Tsunamis. Mountain ranges crashing into the oceans. This is like, you think your world is falling apart? This verse talks about worlds falling apart, and yet God is an ever-present help. There is a river. The streams whereof shall make glad the city of God. And we go from natural geology to supernatural geology. Rivers are part of geology. It's hydrology. There is a river that the streams thereof make the city of God glad. That's the presence of God Almighty. You can have a continual river of God's presence in your life. If you want peace, you have to pioneer it through praise and worship and Bible study. You have to keep that thing flowing. Don't let it silt up. Don't let it clog up. Don't trash it up. Don't live too far away from the river. The holy place of the tabernacles of the Most High. That's where it is. God is in the midst of her, the tabernacles of the Most High. That tells you where to go, the houses of God, the tents of God, the tabernacles of God. That's where the river can be found. God is in the midst of the tabernacles of God. He is not going to be found out there in the bar, in the club. He's not going to be found out there with a bunch of pagans who are insecure. God is found among the people of God. She shall not be moved. These verses apply to people in search of peace. When you don't have peace, you're tossed and driven. You're following this fad. Uh, You can always tell who's very insecure. They're hyper-trendy. Hyper-trendy people are very insecure. They're they're trying to stay cutting-edge to be liked with people they think are cool. I'm not against fashions. I'm not against trends. But the hyper-trendy people... Is they manifest a level of insecurity. Not the only manifestation, but it is a manifestation. I would like to be unmovable, unflappable, secure. Let's keep reading. God shall help her. And that, right early. That almost sounds like hillbilly speak. Right early. When you going to help God? Right early. David did speak a little bit of Hebrew hillbilly. Uh The heathen raged. The kingdom's removed. He uttered his voice. The earth melted. Everything's falling apart and God just speaks as if to say, shut up. And everything just melts away. That's peace. Remember, Jesus spoke to a storm and it just melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. If you, if you missed it, there's all these terms that talk about security. Refuge in verse 1. Presence in verse 1. Tabernacles in verse 4. And here it says refuge again. Come, behold the works of the Lord. What desolations he hath made in the earth. He makes those calamities to be desolate. You and I walk with God. By his power and authority, we speak to things, and it just stops in front of us. People are searching for peace without doing the Bible. They're trying to obtain peace without obeying scriptures. They're trying to find peace without taking refuge in God's presence. We're trying to find refuge in food, refuge in friends. We're trying to find refuge in social media, refuge in fashion, refuge in weight loss, refuge in muscle gain. We're trying to find refuge anywhere it is not. And God will always resist that so that we'll know that He is God and there is no other. Verse 9. And I'm going to get to our verse here in a second. He maketh wars to cease unto the end of the earth. That's what's got us so tumultuous anyway. Things are falling apart. A war here. A war there. This trauma. This drama. We don't have to have literal wars. We can have a war of words. He breaketh the bow. Well, the... Psalmist said that bows would shoot sharp words of slander. So this could be allegorized or principalized. He cuts the spear in sunder. He burns the chariot in the fire. But he says in verse 10, Be still and know that I am God. When you and I lack peace, when our mind looks like that, that's not a time to go make big decisions. When our heart is knotted up with fear, anxiety, anxiety, Rejection, trauma, turmoil. When we're having to put a facade on our face, we put facades on because that's reality, that knotted up, that's reality. Then the commandment of God, when the world is falling apart around us and wars are around us, we don't go make decisions. We just sit, be still, know that He is God. We do the last thing we know to do. It often helps just to speak a word. Sometimes all you can say is peace, peace. How about we go back to Isaiah? Shalom, shalom. <laughs> that may not mean anything to you, and that's fine. It's a Hebrew word, but say peace, peace. Speak to it. We speak to mountains. We speak to demons. We speak to storms. We better believe we can speak to a mind and say peace, peace. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. So slow down. Be still. Stop running with that massive knot. I I do a lot of rope work with caving, and you can so put weight on a knot you make it nearly impossible to get undone. Now, there are proper rope techniques uh, like the hitch, half hitch, where you can turn a bite, it's called a bite on a knot, and it'll hold, and then you can pull another part and it just unfolds for you. Or you can be a total idiot and just tie a grandpa's knot. Tie it three more times just to be safe. Put all your weight on it, and you'll just have to cut the rope when you're done because you'll never get that knot. The last thing you want to do when your life is knotted up is keep jerking on it. What you have to do is stop and back up. Push the ropes against each other to loosen the knot. You and I can get so knotted up, the rope of our life gets shortened, and we become less and less valuable. By that, I mean less and less capable of doing things and extending ourselves. Can you imagine if your marriage is a mess, if your kids are a mess, if your money's a mess, your life is so knotted up, you can't extend anywhere else. You could never take a mission trip if your missions—excuse me—if your marriage and your kids were a mess. You could never do a mission trip if your money's a mess. You could never do a mission trip if your mind was a mess. So all you have to give the kingdom is like four inches of rope because the rest of your life is knotted up But if we can pull this thing out and be still and let God be God, we can free up more of our life to do this and to serve here. You know, when your wife is needy, you have to revolve your whole world around her. Wives, when you are needy because you have refused to grow in Christ you severely cripple what your husband is able to do for his God. Yeah. Yes, in, in one part, it's immaturity. It's you wanting to be God. But you want to be God because you're so insecure, you don't trust him to come home to you. So you control him. You take your rope, tie it around his ankle, and tug him home just when God would use him to do something greater. Yes, so you got to be careful that you don't become the noose around your husband's neck. That your job, according to Proverbs 31, is to be so, so confident, so courageous, that your husband is freed up to go into the city and not have to take a text from you every five minutes. Or a phone call every 10, that you're so secure, you don't have to talk to him for five hours at a time, and it gonna be okay. <laughs> That's exhausting. Amen. Oh, man. You're afraid he's going to leave, but you being that weird, he's going to cut rope and leave. <laughs> he's coming to work with a rope around his neck say, so you got a knife. A butter knife. Just a plastic one. I'll make it work. <laughs> Amen. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Four or five times it says refuge, refuge, refuge. If you need peace, you go to God. He is the refuge. Look at First Peter chapter 3. I'm going to try to tell Lydia's story because it really blessed me. My God spoke to my daughter. And it, she was so excited to tell me about what my God spoke to her. And what I'm even more proud of, she knew instantly what to do with it. And she also knew she had to do something with it. And she did something with it that night. I thought, well, maybe I'm doing pretty good as a dad and a disciple maker. First Peter chapter 3, verse 10. For he that will love life. Anybody love life? All right. And see good days. Anybody want to see good days? I mean, just better than... Some of you might be really content with mediocrity. I don't want mediocrity. I want... Good days aren't even good enough. I want awesome days. But this is like just good days. You want good days? Let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile. So here's two things you can do to have good days. Refrain your tongue from evil. Don't be deceptive with your tongue. Verse 11. Let him eschew evil, that is hate evil, and do good. So there's three and four. Number five. Let him seek peace. And pursue it. If you want good days, it's not enough to seek peace. The word pursue there means to chase after with the endeavor to acquire it. Now, when peace becomes important enough to you, that's 1 Peter 3, 10 and 11. When peace is important to you, you will drop everything to go after it. So here's an example where you're not just being still, now you're pursuing. Every truth has two sides to it. There's a truth that peace is found by being still because that answers the, I'm trying to find peace. Uh, what's the old song, Looking for Love in All the Wrong Places? Buckwheat sang it on Saturday Night Live, Wook and, and all, That just comes to mind. I, say, I don't even hear looking for love. I hear Wook for <laughs> It's a problem with being a child of the late 70s and early 80s. I remember... The first service I was in with Dr. Jacobs, he, I was sitting over here at Pastor Luke's church and he had people up who needed prayer because they needed peace. And the first lady, well, he laid hands on a few ladies. He came to this lady right in front of me and she manifested a demon. She buckled over and began to growl. Blah, 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 and he just kept popping her own forehead. Come out, come out, just come out. Blah, 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 and she's kind of, blah, 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 blah. come out. And then she just fell out, like at my feet. And I went, whoa. This guy's good. I haven't ever seen it done that chill before. So then he went down the prayer line praying for other people. And then he comes back to her, and she's still laid out. She's the only one that manifests the devil. And so he gets to her feet, and he kind of like kicked her feet so she would know he was talking to her. He said, ma'am, if you would quit jumping from guy to guy, you might find that peace you're looking for and you wouldn't have these devils. And that's reading somebody's mail in front of the whole church. So I thought, well, we all know her problem because I don't think she's just dating these guys. So there's a place to be still and know that he is God. That would be an opportunity. And then there's a time here where you have to go seek peace. That is, get out of where you're at if it's a hell hole. Get out of the relationship if it's a hellhole. Get out of the job if it's a hellhole. Leave the people behind. Leave the music behind. Wherever peace is, the house of God, seek it and pursue it because you're full intent to acquire it. Folks say they want peace, but most of them, I don't believe they do. They just don't want to be miserable because to have the peace of God takes work to acquire and work to maintain. Most folks just want a pill, they don't want the responsibility. And so this verse is a commandment. Seek peace, pursue it. That is aggression. Pursue after it till you grab a hold of it. And once you have peace, you don't don't forfeit it for nothing. Once you have peace in your home, it's precious. You have peace in your home and you've worked it and you have a beautiful marriage and your kids are submitted and you watch clean stuff on TV and you listen to clean music. When weird people come into your home and you might be related to them, you can feel them disrupt the peace. You can put a TV show on and know it disrupts the peace. You can hear a worship song that's not inspired of God. It'll disrupt the peace. But that you can only recognize when you're used to a baseline of peace. If I ever have to go somewhere for an extended period of time and stay in somebody's home, I can tell if they have peace or not because we we fight to maintain peace. So if I go to their house and they don't have it, I know right away. It's as distinct as going to a smoker's house and a non-smoker's house. Now, if your life is tumultuous, if your mind is tumultuous, you don't know where peace is or where it's coming or where it's going. Uh, let's show this other picture. I used this analogy probably 10 or 12 years ago. This is a bingo ball. Some of you Baptists would really know this pretty well. <laughs> Baptists like to gamble Bingo. So, if you know bingo, do the French know bingo? Do you understand bingo? Okay. You, just for explanation's sake, you have B I. We also have a dog, and bingo was his name, <clears> oh. <throat> but it's a game. You have a board, you have a little piece of paper, B I N G O, and then different numbers. And what they would do is roll this ball and take a ball out. One would be a letter. One would be a number. N, 17. So you'd look to see if you had any 17s under your N, and you'd stamp it. So the first person to get five across or five down would yell, bingo, and win. All right? So you got a ball, and you just rotate this thing. So I use this as an example of our mind. And if every one of those balls represents a thought, and on a daily basis— you're just bouncing a 10,000 thoughts every moment. When God speaks to you, will you be able to recognize it? When it's a demonic thought, will you recognize it? Are they neutral thoughts Are they aggressive thoughts? When your mind and it's better when I have one of these so I can just crank it because that's some Christian's minds just the cacophony of go 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 and this is the person who says, God spoke to me. You wouldn't know if he did. (laughs) I think the Lord is leading me. You wouldn't know if he did. (laughs) So of those 10,000 thoughts, which five are demonic, which one is God and which others are just secular, which are scriptural. But when you can be still, and really purge all that vain thinking out there's a lot more clarity for decision making you have to be able to pinpoint when something's not right in your life when your mind is always go 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 you don't ever know when something's not right cuz everything's never right and that's not the will of god if everything's falling apart in our life it's time to be still Get direction from God, find where the peace is, then go pursue it. And as we saw in Isaiah, it's in the house of God. As we saw in Psalms, it's in the house of God. So let me come back to Lydia. So Lydia was in this prayer line the other night, and I don't like to see my children in prayer lines where they're mentally buffeted. Where am I failing as a dad? So I pulled her aside before we even got home. I said, sweetie, what was that all about? She said, you know. And I said, no. She said, the whole throw up thing. I said, oh. So long story short, I asked her today if I could share the story. I said, how long ago was that food poisoning thing? She said, I don't, I don't remember. I said, what was it you got sick on? She said, I don't remember. But what's happened since she got food poisoning several months ago, Mama thinks it was chicken nuggets. Doesn't matter. I'm still going to eat them. <laughs> Doubtless I shall rise again. <laughs> Did it with spinach maria. She got sick one night, five, six, seven months ago, off of chicken nuggets, got up in the middle of the night, threw up everywhere. Every night after that, she was paranoid. I'm going to get sick tonight. I'm going to get sick tonight. We let that go for a couple of nights. Honey, it's okay. Well, that thing settled in. And so it's been a battle for her mentally for the last couple months. And, and we, so we kind of gave her some space to resolve it, look at it. So then we say, all right, stop. So what would happen is she'd go outside, jump on the trampoline, having had two hamburgers, ice cream, orange juice, do backflips, chase the kids across the backyard, shoot Orby guns, be perfectly fine, then come in for bed and panic. Because her mind got still, and now this thing comes out of nowhere, fear. But... Thankfully for her, she could recognize it. So we had to help her. This is You're not going to throw up. Can at least sleep on the floor? You're not sleeping on the floor. You're not going to throw up. You didn't have chicken nuggets. You were fine five minutes ago doing backflips full of orange juice and ice cream. You're fine. Go to bed. So then we began to teach her how to speak to it. So she's gotten the victory over it, or at least she's not squawking to us about it, and she still goes to bed. But she got in the prayer line because I said, your mind is just... A jumbled mess and you need victory. So that's what she heard. But she said, she was so excited to tell me, she said, Daddy, you prayed for me. And then I went back to my seat and she said, You know that verse? God has not given us a spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind." I said, Yeah, she said, I saw it. God showed me the verse, and the word fear was bigger than all the other words. And I could see, God has not given me the spirit of fear. She said, God's not giving me fear, Daddy. And I was like, Yes. This is true. This is true. I said, so what what are you going to do about it? She said, I'm going to speak to it. Now, what blesses me, number one, that my God would speak to my daughter, that she could get it. God's not giving me fear. But she also now, I laid hands on her, yay. God spoke to her, yay. She still has to do. And even as my daughter, I can't do for her. So she's 11. We've been having to disciple her. Get in that bed, upon threat of spanking. Get in that bed and speak to your mind and go to sleep. Get in that bed. Read your Bible or read a book till you fall asleep. You're not going to throw up. What if I do? You're not going to. What if I do? We'll clean it up, but you're not going to. Get in that bed. She still has to do the word, just like you and I. And we can lay hands on you and God give you a divine word. We could prophesy over you, but you're still going to have to do. You're still going to have to do. And even if we cast the devil out of you, he's going to try to come back and you're still going to have to do. If you don't do, we can't help you. If you don't do, we can't help you. We rise and fall on our doing of the word of God. Now let me give you one more verse because we're about out of time here. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 4. And we could hit Romans 12, but we'll go Ephesians chapter 4. We're talking about the pursuit of peace. Part of pursuing peace is figuring out where it's leaving you. When you go backpacking, I, I enjoy backpacking in the winter. I prefer when it's really cold because there aren't any people. There aren't any poison ivy. There aren't any bugs. I would, I would take five degrees over crowds, insects, and poison ivy, hands down. You want to go in the middle of August, pastor, or you want to go in January, it's going to be minus 10. Let's go in minus 15. I I prefer it, but you have to have the right equipment. So you have these nice sleeping bags, zero degree, minus five degree rated, and they have down, and they have these loft um, billows. And you got to keep them warm because your body heat heats up the insulation. But one thing is for sure, if there's a cold spot, you're going to know right where it is. You're going to feel it. And if your sleeping pad isn't long enough and you fall off one side or the other, you're going to feel that cold ground as it sucks the heat out of your very warm 80-degree sleeping bag. You and I have got to be astute enough to recognize where life is sucking peace out of us. So if your feet hang off your sleeping bag and your feet get cold, one of the things you can do is put your backpack under your feet. That gets it off the ground. You can take your jacket, zip it up, make like a little sock out of it, pull that over your sleeping bag. When you're that cold, you'll do whatever it takes to stay warm and sleep through the night. The last thing you want to do is shiver all night long, burn energy, burn calories, wake up exhausted and fatigued and possibly hypothermic. If you can be that smart camping in cold weather, we ought to be that astute finding what is sucking peace out of our life and then fix it. Now, most folks in this generation are not smart enough. They won't acknowledge this is where the peace is leaving me. This is where the peace is leaving me. This is where the peace is leaving me. They're just addicted to what's sucking peace out of them. We got to be smarter than that. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22, ah, verse 21 If so be that you have heard him, Jesus, and been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. Now here's the truth. Here's the commandment. Verse 22. Put off concerning the old lifestyle or the former lifestyle, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that you put on the new man. So there's a three-step process here. Verse 22 says, put off... Verse 23 says be renewed. Verse 24 says put on. Before you can put on, you have to put off, be made new, then you can put on. We're trying to put new stuff on without putting old stuff off and fixing everything in between. It's a three-step process, wonderful sermon outline if you need one. But I want to focus on the middle part. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind, the attitude of your mind, the way you think, the disposition, how you view things. Figure out what gets your life knotted up. We're all kind of masters of life. We don't all stress out over the same thing. Figure out what takes your rope and ties a knot in it. Figure out, I hate this word because it's like a, a woke, irresponsible word, but I'm going to use it. Figure out what triggers you. Such, I feel like I just lost IQ points using that word. Because <laughs> that word means it's not my responsibility to the modern generation. You triggered me. All of life is a trigger, Dumplin'. All of life is a trigger. My white privilege did not deactivate my triggers. In fact, hearing the term white privilege triggers me. Do I get a free pass? No, you're white. Well, How is that not racist? Because I can't be racist. I'm a minority who gets everything I don't for free. And I pay for it. How is that fair? That's racist. I can't even make observations without being triggered. Figure out, give me permission to use it again, figure out what triggers you. Because what are we talking about when we say triggered? Someone totally forfeits peace. Our modern society teaches people that it's cool to forfeit peace. I'm so triggered. and Now we have to have trigger warnings on radio programs, magazine articles, professors, training tomorrow's scientists have to say, we might have some trigger words in here, children. Oh, what was this? Kindergarten. And now the State Department puts out an apology because they put out a, something anyway. They trigger people. Figure out what, go back to our knot here, Schmidt. Figure out what puts your soul into a knot and takes your peace. Then fix it. I don't care if you use the word trigger, but use it effectively. If I can be for, for real, which I usually am, trigger is just where you're failing. A trigger is just where your faith is non-existent. If my kid screaming when they're throwing up triggers me, I got to fix that. If traffic triggers me, I got to fix that. All the trigger indicates is where you don't have a fixed soul. So use it to your advantage and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. That way you can put on the new man, which is after God created in righteousness and true holiness. If you don't do that... All that you'll have is fear the rest of your life. And God has not given us that spirit of fear. Fear has torment. Peace is the best buffer against fear and torment. In our pursuit of peace, figure out what's tying your soul in knots. Figure out where your mind is just blah, 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 blah. Maybe the trigger causes that bingo ball to start going blah, 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 blah. What about? huda shoulda, coulda, woulda, What about? What a, hana hana coulda, shoulda, hana? Sometimes our mind's at peace. Sometimes we just have to say one word and you're triggered and that ball starts spinning. Either way you look at it, it's an analogy to show chaos in the life of the born-again, spirit-filled believer. We should not live chaotic, strife-filled lives. If we're born again, we can seek peace, pursue it, we can obtain it and maintain it. And from that plateau, that place of peace, you can see clearly to make every decision you need to make. Let's stop making decisions in search of peace and make decisions from the place of peace and watch our lives get better. Amen. Amen?